We come to the second reading of Scripture, and this is also the sermon text. Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 43. That's on page 884 of your pew Bible. Luke 23, 32 through 43. We're going to focus on verses 39 through 43 for our sermon. All right, I invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified Jesus and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. The grass withers, the flower fails, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would take this familiar text and surprise us with the joy of your grace this morning. Lord, may we see what the second thief saw and may we find the grace that the second thief was given in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. I love preaching on these texts, which are so familiar to us. The famous texts, which of us hasn't heard of the thief on the cross and thought of him when we think of the joys of salvation? Which of us hasn't done that? I think most of us here know of the thief of the cross. If, If you haven't, you've heard of him now and you see why people talk about him so much. I love preaching on these texts, not just because they remind me of of those those famous words and and those famous passages, but also because they, they surprise me. Oftentimes, I see things in the Bible that I didn't see before. And that's certainly the case with Christ's resurrection or his crucifixion and then his resurrection. We talked last week about how 
crucifixion was one of the worst possible deaths that anyone could experience. And there are these vivid details that Luke could go into about how horrible it was. In fact, I believe I told you that crucifixion was such a bloody and horrible death that in the time of of Jesus, no one mentioned a cross. You had to work really hard to find people talk about the cross. Instead, they talked about the unlucky tree. Crucifixion was so horrible that it just, it was almost a curse word that didn't find its way into people's speech. But notice the second thing that we saw last week, that Luke doesn't go into those gory details of crucifixion. He doesn't talk about the wounds and the horrors of it. Instead, he wants you to focus on particular things that are happening, and especially the things we're hearing, the things that catch our ear as Christ is being crucified. What what kind of things do we hear as Jesus is being crucified? We hear the mocking of the soldiers and 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 the rulers. We hear a circus around Jesus. And then we hear the words of Jesus himself, Father, forgive them. And then in the midst of all these these sounds and sights, we hear a conversation take place. A conversation that is happening between three crosses, two thieves and one savior. And what I want you to see this morning, that as we lean into that conversation, we come face to face with nothing less than the gospel itself. The conversation on the cross is what Luke wants you to hear because he wants you to hear the gospel. He wants you to move beyond the, the, the shocking realities of crucifixion to ask the question, why does this matter and what does it mean for me? And what do I do? What do I do with, with this man who's being crucified next to two thieves? Let's follow this conversation by going from cross to cross. First, we're going to hear the voice of the angry man on one cross. And then we're going to hear on the other side of the hill, the voice of a changed man. And then finally, we're going to hear the voice of the savior in the middle. And you hear the voice of this angry man in verse 39. And what is he doing? He's joining the voices of the scoffers and mockers and cruel people that are calling out against Jesus. And what is he, what is he saying? He is reviling Christ, saying, are you not the Christ? Then save yourself and us. Now, this is how this man spends his last gasp of breath on earth. He is railing against Christ. It's weird, right? Because here he is and he's being tortured by these people that are running around him um, on the ground. And here he is up on the cross and all he can do is turn and look to Jesus in the middle and, and spit curses towards him. But this man is furious at Jesus. Jesus has become the object and the attention of his anger, this fierce anger. Because he's heard about Jesus. He's heard that he's the Christ. He's heard probably about his miracles, how he healed the blind and raised the dead from life. Perhaps, perhaps he even saw Jesus do some of these things. He's not like those that are around him saying, you know, if you're the Christ, 
you know, implying you're not, you know, you would save yourself. Instead, this man sees that there is something special about Jesus, something that Jesus could do. And that makes him really angry because Jesus is dying on a cross. Are you not the Christ? You are. People say you are. You've shown that you are. Then do something about it. Get down off that cross. And by the way, don't forget about me. Take me down now. Don't you see I'm dying? This is how the man, the angry man, uses his last precious breaths. His fist clenched, raging against God and his Savior. He's like like the man in um, a famous poem by Dylan Thomas. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. He's like that man, right, who rages against death. And his rage isn't just against death. It's about God. It's about Christ on the cross next to him. Save me. Don't let me die. Stop this. The world is full of people just like this man. I once met a man who told me, uh, I don't know how the conversation came up, but we were talking about matters of faith. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm an atheist. And so we start talking about, you know, the proofs for God's existence. And, um, you know, I start asking him why he doesn't believe God exists. And at first it was very philosophical, right? Up in the clouds. But then the man started to become kind of angry. I could see his, his face change, his, his fist clench. And he said, listen, man, this isn't a philosophical thing for me. This is personal. I won't believe in a God, an all-powerful God who ignores my suffering. I won't believe in, in a God who, who allows the things to happen to me when I'm just trying to live a decent life. I'm not going to ask him for forgiveness. If anything, he should be asking me for forgiveness for what he's allowed to happen to me. You see, you see how that's. It's the same thing we see with the thief on the cross, the angry man on the cross. These questions aren't aren't questions just to scoff at, just say, oh, how dare you say that? You, You can see, can't you? How that how that arises in your own experience. God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? But unbelief. When it sees suffering, when it reacts to suffering, it says, God, how dare you not stop this? You know what that man I met was missing? You know what the angry thief on the cross was missing? That the cross of Christ is not God ignoring human suffering. It's not God turning a blind eye to pain and And our shame, it is instead God perfectly identifying with suffering and providing the only solution to it. The cross is God stepping into human suffering and saying, I I am not turning a blind eye to this. There's more to see in the cross of Christ than the angry man with his fist clenched Saul. And in fact, There's another man who sees something in the cross. It's the changed man 
in verse 40. Let's, let's go to him. As the conversation progresses, there's another man who calls out from another cross on the other side of the hill. In verse 40, the changed man. Now, why do I call him a changed man? It's because if you look at the other gospel accounts, especially Matthew, they make one thing perfectly clear, that both thieves on the cross were railing against Jesus at the beginning of the crucifixion. Both thieves were mocking Jesus and saying, why, why aren't you doing something? Stop this right now. If you're the Christ, put an end to this. Come off the cross. But somewhere in that darkness, somewhere in the midst of the crucifixion, something changes. And now the other man, the second thief, he sees something by the grace of God. By the very gift of God, he sees something that the other man is missing. He really sees the man in the middle, Jesus Christ. What does he see? First of all, he sees his sin. Now look at this. The angry man on the other side of the hill, he only sees his suffering. He only sees what God is permitting to happen. But But the man on the other side, he comes to realize that his suffering is the result of his sin. Look at this in verse 40. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? You know, what is he saying? What is he saying? He's saying, don't you see that we're guilty? How do you think we ended up on a cross? You know, the the word for robber here, it's not um, the word for thief. It's not just your common person who, you know, who steals a candy bar from a store. You know, this is a robber who would wait on the side of a road and would um, approach people, sometimes leave them for dead, kill them and take their possessions. That's why these men are being crucified. They say, we're I'm guilty. Don't you see that we're guilty and that's why we're on the cross? Don't you see that we're here because we deserve it? And don't you fear God? He's saying, you know, if you think what's happening right here is bad with the Romans putting us on this cross, what do you think we're going to experience when we stand before a holy God? The one whom we ultimately have sinned against. He sees his sin. And the second thing he sees is his savior. You see, while the angry man, all he could see was what Jesus wasn't doing or how he wasn't meeting his demands. That the other man, the changed man, sees Jesus as the savior and the only hope in his desperate situation What does he do? The first thing he sees about Jesus is his innocence. He says, Jesus, you don't deserve this. By the eyes of faith, he sees that Jesus is suffering for sins that he does not deserve. And he realizes that there must be a reason for that. And so he cries out for Christ to save him. Remember me, Jesus, when you enter your kingdom. Now, there's a lot packed into that one phrase, right? Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Think about this. What is he, what kind of trust is he putting in Jesus? He's putting in him the kind of trust that reaches beyond the grave. 
You know, he looks at this dying guy on, on the middle cross. And he says, remember me when you die and you're on the other side. He's, he's kind of putting a faith in Jesus that reaches beyond the grave. You could say a resurrection hope of sorts. That this man on the cross looks to the other man in the middle on the cross and says, there's divine power in you that can save me. Remember me when you enter into your kingdom. It's amazing. Honestly, you, what kind of faith is this that looks at a dying man in the middle of the cross with Jesus with all the blood on his face? And he says, Jesus, I don't need you to come down from that cross. I need you to stay on it and to remember me. If there's any question that this is true saving faith, look at the final thing, that this this guy even starts to show the the basic fruits of a soul that has been set free from Jesus because he starts yelling at the other guy on the other side. Look, Look, don't. Don't rebuke Jesus. Don't rail against him. Don't you see that he's our only hope? He starts to preach to that man on the other side of the hill. The thief on the cross, a preacher. What is God showing us in this second man? He's showing us this. That his rescue plan is for anyone who believes. It does not matter what you have done. While there is still breath in you, there's still hope to trust in the Savior and the the man in the middle and find life. He said, what what did this thief on the cross know? He hadn't been through a catechism class. You know, he, he, and in his life, he hadn't experienced the waters of baptism. Uh, He, uh, he hadn't, he hadn't, uh, you know, heard much preaching at all, right? What sermon had he ever heard? One sermon. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the only sermon he'd ever heard in his life from Jesus on the cross. And that was all he needed. And it wasn't too late. Moments before he died. That's why um, our book at George Order and the OPC says, The one thing that a minister cannot do at a funeral is say that the person died in in their sins and in unrepentance. We don't give false hope that that people did come to Christ in their last moments, but we need to understand that all it takes is one sudden leap of the soul in your last flash of your life to believe in Jesus and the gospel that you've heard. That's all it takes. And you're saved from your sins. It's all because of the Savior in the middle. He's the one we hear at the end of this conversation. He responds to, again, a man on his left with his fist clenched in rage and a man on his right changed and pleading to be remembered, trusting in him by faith. And the man in the middle, the Savior in the middle gives the change to man beautiful promises. And listen to these promises because they're the same promises that come to you. Three words. Paradise today with me. 
Today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise today with me. Jesus gives this man the hope of paradise. He gives you the hope of paradise. Now, what's the place that's like paradise to you? Think about it. Where would you go? What's the setting in which you say, yeah, that's paradise. You know, maybe it's a vacation to Florida. You're sitting in the sun on the beach and you see the waves rolling. Ah, that's paradise. Or maybe you're sipping a a cup of coffee in the, um, the Rocky Mountains porch of a cabin and ah, hear the bird song, that's, that's paradise. And then it doesn't take too long in, in that moment, whatever moment you've chose to realize that paradise has been lost. Because then you hear in the, back, uh, in the background news of, of a new war uh, flashing across the television screen or you know, you suddenly an argument breaks out amongst your family and you're, you're in that. Or, you know, you, you see a, a beautiful thing. A bird fly past you and hit the window and die. And you say, yeah, Milton was right. Paradise is lost. I, I, I give these crazy examples sometimes. <laughs> but, but am I right? Paradise is lost. Milton was right. As soon as Adam sinned in the garden... As soon as he disobeyed God, he was cast out of that perfect paradise, the Garden of Eden. And what did God put there to guard the way? An angel with a flaming sword. God said, if you're going to come back through into paradise again, if you're going to come back into life as God designed it to be, sin has to be judged. Condemnation has to come down upon sin. And what is Christ Jesus doing on the cross? He is taking upon himself that sword of judgment the very gateway to the Garden of Eden. He is, that sword of God's wrath is being thrust through him so that he can say, the the gateway is open. Paradise is regained. Trust in me. Come through me. I am the gate. And there's the hope of paradise. What is the hope of paradise? It's heaven. It's heaven. That when we die, paradise with God. The Garden of Eden reclaimed. And guess what? We don't have to wait for it. Because what does Jesus say to this man in his dying breath? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, what good news for this man? He looks down. He sees nothing but suffering and death. For goodness sake, he's on a a hill that's called the skull because it looks so death-like. And all he sees is death. And Jesus says, Today, you're with me. You will be with me in paradise. Now, that is good news for you. When you die, brothers and sisters, what happens? We already confessed this earlier in the service. You don't go to purgatory and wait it out for years and years until, you know, you make your way into heaven. You don't enter into soul sleep where you just, you know, fall asleep and then you wake up and, you know, hey, judgment stays here. That was, that was a nice rest. no. The Bible tells you right here, what do you do when you die? You enter into paradise, the very paradise of God. You go to heaven to be with God. You 
in the presence of your Savior. You know, that's the final promise. And it's, it's the most beautiful of all. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Friends, why is heaven so sweet? It's because it gives you something better than, uh, you know, than that moment in the Rocky Mountains can give you. It gives you something better than that day on the beach can give you. Heaven gives you Jesus. Right now, you can have Jesus' relationship with him. But heaven takes that relationship and it brings it closer. So it says, you don't have to ever have any doubt. You're with me. With me in paradise. That's what's so good about heaven. We will be with Jesus forever. Friends, don't you see what Jesus is doing here with these, this promise on the cross? He's reversing the sting and curse of death. He's transforming it. He's, he's disarming it of its power so that death is no longer something to fear and fight and rage against. No, it's, it's something that when it comes upon us is an entrance into glory, an entrance into deeper communion with God. So that, you know, the, the gospel doesn't say to you, rage, rage against the dying of the light. It says, brothers and sisters, die well. To live is Christ, so live well. But to die is gain, so don't fear death. And in this scene on the cross, on the hill of Calvary, we really see the gospel made simple. You say, what's really going on here? There were three crosses. An angry man, a changed man, and the Savior in the middle. And the situation is not very different today, right? Christ is no longer on the cross, but today he is portrayed, right, right this morning, portrayed to you as crucified. Jesus really died on the cross. And that Savior is the one in the middle today. You can go to your death angry and raging and with your fist clenched and say, God, why? Why did I suffer? I don't want to have anything to do with you. I'd, I'd rather go to hell than, than, than accept the salvation that's, that's in the middle. Or you can receive the promise of the, of the other man, the changed man. You don't have to put it off, right? In fact, I plead with you, do not put it off. Do not presume. Don't wait till your last minute. Right now. Embrace the Savior in the middle by faith. For his promises are for you. And if you believe in him, he says to you, you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your promises are sweet and good. And Lord, you give us words in your gospel to remember them. It is hard to find more famous words than the words that Jesus said to the thief on the cross. It's harder to find a more famous sinner than the thief on the cross. And yet, Lord, the realities in, uh, that, that you, you've taught us in this text are for us today. Help us to believe. Help us not to put that off, but to be confident and assured that truly, truly, if we embrace Christ, we have the promise of paradise. 
pray this in Christ's name. Amen.